welcome to Kind Mind. This is Todd. Thank you for listening today. Hope your holiday season is off to a peaceful and rejuvenating start. December is the right time to reflect, to go inward with all the darkness in the outer world. Revisit lessons learned, unexpected blessings that may have arrived and things we want to do differently in the new year. I'm happy I can share this episode with you, Declaration of Interdependence, because it was recorded at the third annual Kind Mind Campout. Now for the past three years, in the summer, we've been meeting at our wildflower farm in central Illinois, a beautiful 160-acre rural property managed by Sally Lasser, and she's kind enough to welcome everybody into her space for one night where we pretty much live simply. We pitch tents, cook food over a fire, we have a talk, sort of like a normal kind mind gathering, but then we camp overnight under the stars. I also want to offer my appreciation to Kelly Fowler of Sage Body Work and Wellness, who led us in a magical sound healing that evening, and Megan Verbich of Megan V Yoga, who guided us in a sunrise yoga session. So both of them helped make the event extra special. So hopefully you can attend in the future. The next one will be in September in 2023. And the theme earlier this year, it was recorded in August, was about celebrating interdependence. And luckily it was captured well enough, the recording that I could edit and share with you today. You can hear the nature. The talk was given outside in a space called the sanctuary, which is covered by trees and all the other animals and insects are around. I think that added a nice texture to this one. And as you listen, I'd like you to consider the deeper meaning of interdependence. If you just close your eyes and contemplate, can you truly be alone and independent, even for one moment? You'll quickly realize that we're so reliant on everything that we consider to be, quote, outside of ourselves. I continue to come back to this one line from the Indian mystic and renowned sage of the 20th century, Ramana Maharshi. Simply, there are no others. I think about it a lot. Because the idea that we're separate, independent, and that we're not completely uh, wired and entangled with everything else in this universe is just simply a matter of thinking. But even thoughts, what are they? Where do they come from? And that's what I spent some time with in this episode. Could they just simply be on a finer level like comets or space debris that pass through our field, cross our orbits, but we identify with it? The pandemic taught us a lot about interconnections, at least, and the illusions of independence, how things run. If you remember all the panic buying in the beginning and the continuous 
supply chain interruptions and you realize even if you have the money for something in your pocket that doesn't guarantee anything. And speaking of interdependence, I am totally interdependent with you. A podcast isn't a podcast if there isn't an audience to listen and provide feedback and support. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for our community this year and all the years that we've been doing this together. I appreciate your support. If you can, contribute on patreon.com slash kindmind. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. I'd like to try to get one more episode out to you, though, before the end of the year. But as always, take care. The late Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh used to say, try to feel the clouds in the paper. Because then he would explain that without the clouds, you don't have rain. Without the rain, you don't have the trees. Without the trees, you don't have the paper. In an invisible way, the clouds are still floating across the paper, or you can feel it metaphysically. And so what he's pointing to is this beautiful concept of interdependence, a quality celebrated in Buddhism in particular. But even science continues to point more and more towards interdependence as the reality of the phenomenal world. And so our our theme, our talk is called Celebrating Interdependence. And we already started that up in our circle when we realized that everything everyone was saying has some thread for us of meaning. And I really like this word interdependence because it allows for the paradox of our human experience. We have the sense that things are interrelated. Many people believe in a higher power. Many people believe that the earth is a living being. And many people believe that somehow we're all connected or that there is an underlying unity. At the same time, it sure looks like there's a bunch of separate things, that there's separation. And we even feel that. We can feel lonely. We can feel lost. We can feel disconnected. We can struggle with that as well. But this word interdependence allows for both. That's why I love it because that is our, our experience. It's a paradox. On some fundamental level, maybe it would be hard to know where I end and you all begin, or where you end and the rest of the universe starts. Now, if you just sit for a moment and contemplate this idea of independence, can I really be alone even for a moment? like alone from the universe. If you take away the air, I'm dead. If you take away the sun, I'm dead. If you take away heat, if you take away the water, I dry up, I shrivel up into dust. Everything that we think of as other is really us in a way that appears to be separate. And so interdependence builds off of the idea or the illusion of independence that we have something 
uh, some separate reality to us. But even if we feel that way and see that way, we can enter into this idea by just paying attention with our own awareness to how things build upon each other. Inter comes from all the way back to the ancient language of Sanskrit, antar, antara, which meant within. So interdependence on, on some level means that which is over there is also within you. Like Thich Nhat Hanh said, the cloud is already in the paper. But the air is actually the breath outside my body. We think of it as this air, the close air, but really it's just one continuous field of ether. The water is my future blood. The earth and all of the matters, my future bones, and the particles that make up me and you have already circulated among all of us and all life and all ancestors and everything else in the universe. And dependence, Dependence comes from French, dépendre, and Latin, which meant to be reliant upon. But then there's another definition of dependence, which is beautiful. Existence deriving upon that, or deriving existence from that. So if you really want to feel the, or celebrate this inter interdependence on a deeper level, you can have the sense that I am because of everything else, that my existence is totally reliant or actually blooms out of the universe. Alan Watts said, we think we come into this world, like we're born into this world, but really we come out of this world. Just like a plant comes out of the earth, we come out of the mother. Whatever people believe about astrology, if you uh, distill it down to its fundamental question for the premise of a chart, what did the universe look like when you were born? So in a sense, astrology is just the, the game of... Uh, understanding what the universe was trying to say when it showed your side of itself. So that's interdependence. My existence is derived from the whole, derived from that which seems like the other. Anything at all that, is, that seems separate, it's, it's not. It's interrelated and there's even an underlying unity. The waves are dependent on the ocean. And yet at the same time, the waves aren't even anything other than the ocean. That's what it's, that's what it's like for us, if you can under, understand that concept. And probably on a, a more quantum level or fundamental level, you wouldn't be able to tell where, where we are. But thoughts make us feel as though this isn't true. And that's where all the suffering comes from, the idea that I actually exist independent of everything. And I think that's where all the pain comes from and all the meanness. And that only happens in thinking. Because when a person is in deep sleep, delta sleep, this isn't an issue at all. My separate existence. It's only an issue when there's thoughts. When we're in a flow state. Not every flow state, but in a flow state where my thoughts are minimal and I'm just 
operating instinctively or naturally without much thought, again, it's not an issue. The story of my, of my separation. So I want to take a little bit of time to explore this together, this phenomena of thoughts. We know there are thoughts. We can sense them, we can feel them, we're affected by them, but they're so mysterious. So if you had to explain what it is to think, what could you say? What are thoughts? Internal dialogue. Internal dialogue. It's a conversation that's going on. Yeah. And and maybe we can even simplify it more than that. It could be an image. It doesn't even always have to be a word, right? It could just be a symbol, an impression, you know, an energy. You're right, a ripple. It can also become much more complicated than that sentence, right? It can become a whole world that we inhabit that creates the illusion that this world isn't even there and the other world is real. And that world could be a rumination, it could be a worry about tomorrow. So it can go from the, from the most simplest phenomena to, to an entire dream state and everything in between. Thoughts are often stories we tell ourselves. We talked before about identity. A lot of times thoughts are how we construct our identity too. Yeah. So it's important to look at those thoughts because not all thoughts are true. Right. Take some discernment to see which are authentic and which are thoughts bubble up. Right. Randomly at times. Uh, they're not all true, and it's for our awareness to discern which are. Yeah. Have truth in. Yeah. Would you agree that thoughts could be intrusive? Like, they can come out of nowhere, they can be unpleasant even, right? They can take an emotion or experience and jack it up. Yeah, yeah. I feel some anger and pretty soon I start telling myself I'm justified in my anger and pretty soon the anger's gone now to even violence. Sure. I talk myself into it. Yeah. give more we, we can feed some of these and they can grow like you you're saying yeah thank you so thoughts can become can become very powerful but the problem is that there's something really unique about thinking within the human being that makes it different than our other systems so we said thoughts can just come they could be unpleasant they could be intrusive but they have the character of us. And there can be the sense that we're the author of our thoughts. This is where the problems arise. Because if we were actually the author of our thoughts, or the sole author, then shouldn't I be able to put the pen down whenever I want? And if I can't do that, then I'm not fully in control of that experience. And so in that sense, if you think about it, and you compare it to other systems in the body, we have a digestive system. I feel a little bit of hunger going on in there now. But I can't decide 
when the hunger should go, and I can't turn it off just by pure will. Nor when there's food in there can I say, I'm going to pause it there in my, dig in my digestive tract or in my intestines for a moment, and when I'm ready, I'll continue. It's doing. However, other things that other systems are doing may affect the digestive system. If I suddenly become anxious, the cortisol in my body will slow down the digestion so as to draw energy out of that system into survival. But now you come up to the heart. The heart's beating. I cannot make it just stop by pure will. Also like thinking. But if I lay down, my heart will slow down. If I stand up, it will speed up. So I have, there are things that I can do to influence it, and yet we would agree I'm not in complete control over it. And when a heart failure or mishap comes, everybody understands that that's an intrusive kind of suffering. But I would argue that all suffering is intrusive. Nobody plans their heart attack. Nobody welcomes a stomach bug. And yet, when we have intrusive thoughts or negative thoughts, we say, that's me. Or like in, in, in my case, you know, working with lots of patients over the years, when there's a, a suicidal thought, a really dark thought, a person can feel like, I'm bad, or I'm dark, or I'm broken. But we kind of understand when there's something wrong in the other systems that it doesn't say anything too deeply about us because we understand that it's a link in a long chain, a long chain of genetics and environment and stressors. But maybe thoughts aren't too different than that. So we also have a respiratory system. If I want, I can hold my breath, but I can only hold my breath for so long before it starts going again. Or if I want, I can breathe deeply. Or if I want, I can just ignore it altogether and it'll go on with or without my attention. I think thoughts are kind of like that. I'm just gonna be thinking, and I may be lost in thought. Psychologists say we're lost in thought 50% of the day. Or I could direct my thought to Sally, or to Bob, or, or anything. When we're breathing unconsciously, it's happening in the medulla, in the lower part of the brain, and when we choose to breathe a certain way, then the cortex lights up and, and controls it. So I think there's something similar to that with thinking, that it will just go just like nature is going, or we can influence it. But if you don't feel identified with it, just like these other systems, you can get the freedom that Bob's talking about. Because so much of our suffering happens under the weight of the story of our thoughts. This is how in Gestalt psychology, we can see a bunch of dots arranged like this. We can see a circle, even though there's not a circle. A circle is an unbroken line, right? That, that is fully connected. But we could see a circle because patterns. And it will actually appear as a circle even though it's not. So our, our brain can take things away and it can introduce things that aren't there. And my point to all this is to just simply expose how thinking happens or thinking unfolds. So much of it is unconscious. And what we remember isn't a choice. And yet, in our language, we take credit for what we remember or forget. I remember when I was a kid, this was like this. We even say, I forgot to do this. 
was forgetting to do that your choice? <laughs> I forgot what I was going to tell you. Well then, does it make sense to ask, well then why don't you remember it? If you're the one forgetting it, why not choose to remember now? It would be more accurate to simply say, file not found. <laughs> so the point of all this is to ask, where does any thought come from? Where does anything that seems like me begin? We already recognize that some of this happened without our choice. These memories are not our choice. It already happens behind the scenes. We just experience it and then we create stories on top of that about why. Take an emotion. You have thoughts and you have emotions. Is fear really our fear? Did we program fear into our system? Or was it already programmed into us from ancient past? Every time we feel fear or anxiety or love or jealousy, we're actually just replaying the story of our ancestors. It's literally a window into the, the world of the past. It's like the light of the star that's reaching us today, even though the actual star isn't there anymore. It's burned out, but the light travels for millions of years and you'll see it long after it's gone. Similarly, emotions are the, the light or the impulses of our ancestors reaching us. The evolutionary programming over and over through natural selection, what was removed and refined and, and now manifests in us. And we say, you know, I'm so anxious or I'm so nervous, and we identify with these, with these phenomena. So in the philosophy of interdependence, we can kind of see intellectually first that everything is derived off of everything else. And in the, the life of the Buddha, in Buddhism you have this concept of interdependence and interbeing, which presupposes that there are relationships but then also allows for the paradox of there to be some other underlying fundamental unity. But the Buddha in the Gandavyuha Sutra, it's called, he talked about Indra's net. Indra is the god of heaven. And this has evolved into a story about the Buddha's passing into Mahasamadhi, which means the, the final realization from... Uh, the final awakening or nirvana after you discard the body Indra is the like the Saint Peter of Hinduism he's the ruler of heaven and when he got word that the Buddha was coming he wanted to really decorate the place so he decided to cast a net of jewels that was like a web, an infinite web, so that when the Buddha came, it would look beautiful. And he knew the life of the Buddha and wanted to honor his transition. And Buddha is a beautiful name for Siddhartha Gautama because Buddha is actually a very humble name or humble title. We now think of Buddha as greatness and exalted. If someone was a Buddha, we'd be like, it's amazing. But it just simply means one who woke up. 
I like that because there's nothing special about that, according to him. It doesn't mean royal, the royal one. It doesn't mean the king. It doesn't mean uh, the wise one. It doesn't mean the leader. It doesn't mean the best. It just means somebody who's awake. Somebody woke up. So anyways, Indra cast this net across the heavens, infinite in all directions, and at every intersection of the net, he put a jewel, a priceless jewel. And every jewel reflected every other jewel in the net. When the Buddha arrived, he goes to one of the, one of the jewels, he looks deeply into it, and he sees the reflection of every other point of Indra's net. And he tells this to the gods who are all there to greet him. And they're pleased with him because he's expressing the, the truth of, of the world and the world of appearances. That every, every thing that we would call a thing is one of the jewels in Indra's net. And when you look deeply into any one thing, you see everything else reflected in it, like the butterfly over here, flapping its wings, listening to our talk. <laughs> has the same breath, the same heat, the same particles. And like we said before, none of this can exist without the other. Everything is interrelated. So inside of everything you have, everything else. And John Muir said, you can't tug on one thing in nature without finding that it's hitched to everything else. If you want to try to liberate from the pain of separation, the pain of loneliness, the pain of loss, the pain of figuring out who we are and what we're supposed to do, you can start to look for the hole in the jewel of your heart. And you can try to see your own being in the jewel of every other heart. Now, what becomes different then? Well, ordinarily, without the interdependence, we see everything as either independent or codependent. And in the book, The uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, Stephen Covey says, the dependence is the language of you. I need you to do this. You didn't call. You didn't think about me. Or even God. You don't care about me. You're not listening to me. And in the independence, the language is I. I'm doing it. I'm making things happen. I'm killing it. And then there's interdependence, which is the language of we. And you can actually practice this. You can ask yourself, does I really fit here or could I use we? Without reconstructing the whole English language, we can simply recognize that there are these moments where we use I, but the truth is more we. When the interviewer is asking, you know, how did you feel when you hit that shot? And the athlete says, I knew I could do it. I knew I could win the game for us. It's not really true. Is if you took away everybody else, there's no way the game would have been won. And the game isn't won on, on one play. So it's really the person just indulging in their illusion of independence. 
had the athletes said, we did it. We all did it. It would build the sense of cooperation you know, and invite people into that, that experience, that shared experience. So you'll find there are times where we suffer the sense of separation. Someone cuts us off on the road and it's us versus them or the I versus the you. And if you are gracious in some of these moments, there's so many moments like this where it really doesn't matter, but our ego still takes over. And so I guess from this gathering today, I'm inviting you to notice some of those moments, especially when the stakes are low, like just getting frustrated in the car or getting frustrated in a thread uh, on Twitter or something like that. I'm inviting you to rem remember our talk about interdependence and to see if there's an opportunity to be gracious there. Because there are so many times, other times in our life where we are, where we're not competitive, but we're not winning the balance sheet. When a parent is giving to the child, there's no way the child is giving as much money or <laughs> paying as much for the rent or the mortgage as the parent is. But the parent doesn't come back to the five-year-old and say, you haven't paid anything yet for this. Why? Because love. And because the parent sees himself or, her, or herself in the jewel of the child. Therefore, it doesn't even matter. All that matters is if that child, my child, can be happy, healthy, well off, then I'm happy. And then we make this distinction with everything else. We take from the tree, we take from the earth, we take more money, we take more resources, we take more of the pie. Because once again, we fall victim to the sense that it's me versus you. But if we can do it with our loved ones, if we could do it with the partner, so long as we're in love with the partner, but as soon as the, the love erodes, then sometimes people you know, feel hate towards that person or even will consciously wish for ill will to befall that person. Whereas previously, their own well-being was completely uh, merged with the other. I think in uh, Star Wars, the Force is a good... Uh, a good metaphor for this concept of interdependence. And in uh, Empire Strikes Back, Yoda's trying to explain it to Luke when his ship sinks into the, the mud. And then Luke says something like, moving rocks is one thing, but this is something else. And, and Yoda's saying, no, it's not different, only different in your mind. And then he tells him to look around, you know, the rock, the tree, the air, you, me, it's all interrelated. And the force is the energy that holds everything together. It surrounds us and binds us, he says. And now with, with what we're learning from science of quantum physics, if anything can be said, because it's so mysterious, but if anything can be derived from that or any wisdom can be derived from it, it's that there's no such thing as a fixed item. Inside of any seemingly stable thing is a whole world of activity. Now we know that, now we could observe that. 
everything that we think of it has its own separate existence is vibrating with energy and electricity and particles and particles that appear as waves and waves that appear as particles when we try to apprehend it with our awareness. I had a thought yeah. about um, kind of going back to getting to the when you were talking about weeds. And I often think about the community that was built around Giving Tree Band that still, like there are still a lot of us that are friends. And I think that part of that was when you, you being the band, spoke, you said we. You always said we. And included us in what you were doing, I think. Um, and even your mom, I remember I met her at a concert one time and I had all the kids with me. And she said, thank you for supporting them. Even she was part, like made mm. us feel important as part and part of the band. And so, or your, you know, success. And I think that it's just interesting to think about how, for me, how just that word can just ripple into this thing that like 10 years later is this whole community of people that still exist because of that simple, that simple idea. That's sweet. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, there's a, that's a very good example of interdependence, the life of a band, because if the band doesn't have the audience, then it kind of loses its meaning. And it's really easy to feel like, as an artist, when you're successful, that, that you're successful independent of the support of the audience. But really, it's like, we're deriving our existence. If the band has any existence, it's deriving its existence from music lovers. And the music lover is deriving the existence of a music lover from the band. And to see that and to celebrate that is, is the beautiful thing. It's, it's a happier way to navigate the, the mystery of life. Thank you. Any other thoughts? Yeah. When you talk about interdependence, I think there's a balanced point in our perception of suchness. We can both see differentiation, individuality of what we are perceiving. And we can also see the non-duality of what we're perceiving. When we see differentiation, our individuality, we are naming. We're giving names to our experience, the tree. Right. When you see non-duality, you withhold the process of naming. And you just perceive what is coming to you. Suchness. You don't call the tree, you just see the color of it. You let, you let that perception come in without naming it, giving it an experience or a memory. You remain in your perception of what is happening. Keep that perception going so it sinks in deeper and deeper into your awareness can't live like that on a permanent basis, but you can glimpse it. Mm -hmm. It's a balancing between non-duality and duality. Uh, too often we forget that there is a greater ocean out there that we're all a part of. Yeah. You're not me, I'm not you, but we share common awareness. We share, we share the energy that's happening in this very moment. And we are creating that very moment through our energy together. It's different, but it's the same. Yeah. I think there was a, 
something that Krishnamurti said or wrote about if you can just take in a tree not as a tree. Because we, we have this sense that trees are all part of uh, you know, this category of thing. But really every tree is just is unique in a way all to itself. And if you just experience it, then and you stop the naming, like you said. You stop the naming. You can actually feel the, the interconnect, the interbeing. And the aliveness of it. And the aliveness, yeah. It's, uh, it has its own light that we can experience. The tree is a good example of this kind of circular arc of interdependence, meaning you have plants that all have you know, their u- unique way of survival, transmuting light energy into food. So you could say they, they're producers. And then there are other living beings that eat the plants. They're the herbivores. If the plants don't convert the sunlight, then the herbivores can't eat the plants. And if there's no sunlight, the, herb- uh, the plants cannot make food for themselves, which becomes food for the herbivores, which becomes food for the carnivores. And then when the carnivores die, because they're larger usually, there's the decomposers. And if the decomposers don't decompose, then the tree and the plants can't transmute the light. And so it seems like all these things are in competition, but really they're deriving their own existence from the other. And it, you know, it appears as a very cruel process in nature. And I think and there's probably moments that you know, are, are aggressive when you just look at the brutality in nature. But it, but it doesn't change the reality that they're deriving their existence. They're, they're re- mutually reliant. And maybe you know, this particular herbivore can escape the carnivore, but you couldn't remove herbivores or you couldn't remove carnivores and have the herbivores continue because it's the carnivores that become the food of the plant and the plant becomes the food of the herbivore. But maybe the, you know, the real suffering is in the thinking that I should be permanent when nothing's permanent. That I could last longer. Well, what could last longer? Everything that once was is gone. You know, the previous moment and the previous moments, particles and cells, they're, they're all changing and going anyway. So what it, whatever it is that we think should last is based on an illusion anyway. And any work we could do is the same thing. So when we're thinking about how could I be important, how could I do something that lasts, what can last? It all amounts to writing on water. But that doesn't mean you don't write I love you on the water, you know? Or make a heart on the water, you know? Or with the sparkler, you know how we would sometimes write something with the sparklers. If you do it in that way, do whatever you're going to do. Live whatever purpose you want to live. But if we can do that without the sense that this will make me last. I mentioned the, uh, the circular aspect of mutuality in nature with food. But it also happens with shelter. Shelter and uh, movement or procreation. The plants can't move or are stationary for the most part. 
but the wind blows the seed and pollinates elsewhere and the animals carry the life of the plant somewhere else and that way everything moves around. The birds find shelter in the tree. There's a bird that lives on the back of the buffalo. And uh, eats the insects that try to attack the, the buffalo. And like this, they have this interdependent relationship. You see it within our own body, the heart and the brain. If you remove the brain, the heart can't exist. If you remove the heart, the brain can't exist. And I think that's what we're experiencing in the world, except that it just is more obscured. And it takes longer to feel the effects of competition or, or of capitalism. If uh, some group decides to take more than it needs or tries to oppress another group, it's like the heart saying, I'll cut off your supply to the brain. And in the case within the body, you know, that's only gonna last a couple minutes, but maybe it'll last a couple centuries on a larger scale, but it's still happening because of the, uh, the lack of understanding the interdependence. And I think whether it's true or just a metaphor, the indigenous peoples who personified the, the seemingly inanimate, it was called animism in indigenous spirituality, that the rock has a spirit, the, the mountain has a spirit. Whether it's true or not, what is true is interdependence. Our existence is derived from the mountain, from the cloud, from the water, from the river. The river, you're looking at the blood outside of your body. The air, you're feeling the space in your lungs outside of your body. The soil is your marrow, you know, is your bones, your future bones. It just isn't fully appreciated. Inanimate things actually still have consciousness in them, perhaps, panpsychism. Or it's just a metaphor to help people appreciate that everything you see, everything you can touch is you, is another you. There's a uh, Christian mystic, I can't remember what century, Meister Eckhart, who has a, uh, a treatise called The Book of Secrets. And there's one essay in there called Seek God in Nothing. And he explains, if someone tells you God is here or God is there, pay no heed. Or if someone tells you God is this or God is that, ignore them. Because only when you remove every something every definition, every doctrine from God, will there only be God? And to God, there will only be you. And when I, when I read this, it's like, this isn't, you know, this isn't really the Christian notion of God, as I grew up learning. And in another one of his essays uh, called One Love, he says, uh, if you seek God with a prior expectation 
you might get that expectation, but you still won't know God. In his mysticism, he's using the word God, but not in the way that that people ordinarily mean, religious people ordinarily mean, but that's what made him a mystic. So he's still using God for interdependence and, and for uh, inspiring seekers to actually experience it, not just uh, intellectualize it. So in that one love, he goes on to say that, that there is a light that permeates everything and you, you will be that light when you strip away everything else. And there won't be the striving anymore because there won't be the, uh, the sense of smallness and separateness and that unity is loving.